as he comes and shares the word of God with us today. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on up, Marshall. And I'll let you introduce your beautiful wife and your son. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, give the Lord another praise offering. Greetings. We bring you greetings from Omaha, Nebraska, uh, in the Midwest. Yeah, the Cornhuskers, that's right. Pray for them. They need a lot of help, man. They need the football team, really needs some help. Uh, all the star players have left last season, so I don't know what they're going to do this year. We didn't have much, but anyway. Yeah, pray for the corn. I ain't going to be a Cornhusker, hopefully, much longer. I'm moving to Arizona. But I ain't going to be no devil. <laughs> Praise God. Well, greetings from Omaha, Nebraska, from Kingdom Mandate Fellowship and Agape, Agape Worship Center International, where my wife pastors, uh, we oversee, uh, and our friends that are here in Southern California, Pomona. Bless you. We are Apostle Eddie. Uh, his wife and the leadership team that's here. It's just a blessing to be here. Uh, when he asked me to come, I, uh, I know so many people in Southern California, and I thought, oh man, I said, I'll go be with Apostle Eddie. I'm gonna go be with my friend as we develop our relationship and walk this thing out. Uh, appreciate him very much and uh, looked forward to this time, our time together, even now and, and after the meeting, just to fellowship and uh, even get more bounded in what God's called us to do together in the earth. Uh, my wife and my son is here. Uh, my son Emmanuel, want to say hi, Emmanuel? Um, smile, because you're on candid camera. My wife, why don't you just come up? This is my middle son, Emmanuel. Uh, he came over from uh, Tempe. He lives in Tempe, Arizona. And I thought it would be good if he can join us, Apostle Eddie. I said, that man right there is a good man to know. You need to kind of come. So he's here. Uh, <laughs> I did. Uh, and he's here with us. Would you like to say something? Uh, I did. Didn't prepare for this. good? <laughs> uh, he's single. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> good morning. How's everybody doing today? Amen, amen. I'm blessed to be here. How many are you excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right, all right, all right. Yeah. Uh, my name is Emmanuel. I'm coming out of Arizona. Um, just really excited to be here with you all. Um, just want to really, I feel the welcomeness here. I feel the love. This is, a, this is a great place. This is a great place. I love the spirit here. The Holy Spirit is definitely here, and he's ready to take y'all to the next level. So the door is open. The stairs are right there. All you got to do is just step on in, and he's ready for y'all. Amen. Thank y'all. And my wife, Pastor Prophet Randy McGee. Amen. We greet you all the way from Omaha, Nebraska. Woo! That's where God lives. You know that. <laughs> it's really good to be here. It's so beautiful to get together with the saints. That's the blessings of traveling. You get to meet new people. You get to do new things. We get to praise the way you praise because we're all the body of Christ. And uh, all those songs that you sang today, man, that took me way back. <laughs> we grew up on that. And uh, I used to sing in the choir. And really, singing in the choir was when I uh, 
developed the anointing or when I realized the anointing because I could see the glory cloud coming in and hoovering over the sanctuary. And that's when I tapped into uh, the spirit of God, how he orchestrates things. Because when we allow him to lead us and when we have pure worship, that's where his presence is. And that's where the healing is. That's where the glory, whatever you need is there. And we can have heaven right here on earth because heaven and earth are meeting together when we come together. Amen. And we don't have to be afraid of coronavirus. Hallelujah. Just because it comes by our door doesn't mean it has to live there. And that's what the Lord showed us because as we traveled, we came down with coronavirus. And we were in the house for quarantine. And, you know, when you accept something, you allow the enemy to, to lord over you in it. So we're in our pajamas every day and no makeup and no, you know, just laying there. It seemed like the more we laid there, the worse we felt. And I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, because the devil, when you look at TV and you look at everything that's happening, all you see is people in the hospitals, you see the worst of the worst. And the Holy Spirit was trying to give me that picture. And the Holy, not the Holy Spirit, but the news was in the media was trying to give me that picture of what the enemy had. But the Spirit of God says the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. And the Spirit of God quickened me, and it's like, you know, that's right. Let me get off this bed. Let me put some makeup on my face, take off these pajamas, and be myself. <laughs> and I went in the room, and I just began to worship the Lord. I began to thank God for the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the best thing that ever happened to us. Amen. Knowledge of the Word is the best thing that happened to us, because we found out that we could get healed. We found out that we don't have to keep coronavirus. We can say, coronavirus, you are under my feet. And no weapon formed, because it was a weapon that was formed. So the Bible says, no weapon formed against us, against me, against you, shall do what? Prosper. Hallelujah. So if you know who you are as a kingdom child of the Most High God, you know that healing is in your being. You know you don't have to stay sick because he already delivered us and set us free. And by his stripes, we are and were already healed. And that's what the world doesn't know. So don't walk around sick. Walk around glorifying God. Walk around decreeing and declaring, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus Christ. Amen. And when you see somebody sick, you lay hands. You declare you can be healed. You don't have to stay sick. And that's what we have as kingdom people. Amen. So we love you and thank you for having us. Thank you, precious pastors. We had a good time in San Jose. We're sorry you couldn't be there, but we had a great time. And we know you had a great time. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Thank you. What time y'all get out? 11.45? Oh, okay. I just wanted two. Y'all have church that long? Okay. I guess you, by the time you get to the lunch counter, it's crowded at two. You got to get there. 
We should be there right now. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, again, it's great to be here. We certainly appreciate uh, uh, just the opportunity to come and share uh, out of the Word of God. We have been trying to rest in L.A. I uh, thought when I got to L.A. I'd get to rest, and it was hadn't really worked out. So maybe when I get to Arizona tomorrow, <laughs> I'll get to rest over there. Uh, but I love my life. I live the, love the life I live, and I live the life I love. And so we certainly are so honored and uh, really to be here. It's a blessing. Uh, I, the lady that was leading the worship, I grew up on those songs. Uh, do you know that song? I don't know what you come to do. You know that? I come to class. My God, you know that too? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a real praiser over there. Bless you. That blessed me so this morning. I, it, I really, I didn't, I, it's not that I didn't feel at home, but I was ready to kick my shoes off. <laughs> that's how comfortable I was. Just appreciate the love from this house and, uh, again, the opportunity, again, uh, Apostle Eddie, uh, for inviting us to come, and uh, we're praying about coming at the end of April, praying about it. Uh, if you twist my arm, I might try to make it happen. Uh, but don't break it. Don't break it. Uh, <laughs> but it's just a blessing uh, to be in God's house. And as the man of God said a while ago, um, next week is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, today is marks, at least on, according to our tradition and biblical history in that context, uh, Passion Week, the beginning of Passion Week when Jesus... Uh, rode the donkey into Jerusalem, uh, called the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, and they laid down palm branches, and they began to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, Hosanna meaning uh, save us, bless us. Uh, uh, that was the cry. That was part of the cry from Psalm 118, save now, O Lord. 118 around verse 25, save now, O Lord. And David said it like this, save now, O Lord. Send now prosperity. Because <laughs> he wants to bless us and empower us, not just with the spiritual blessing, but also with natural things. So I want to talk for a few minutes as we are in, in the midst of this Passion Week leading up to resurrection. I want to talk just a little bit uh, I'm getting where it's hard for me to come up with subjects. I'm not a good subject person. I don't even know if this title fits, but if you're taking notes, from, from resurrection to restoration. One of the things we have not understood uh, about resurrection is this simple truth, because we celebrate, uh, uh, we do all kinds of celebratory things during uh, resurrection. I use Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I don't use the word Easter a lot. Sometimes I use it just to identify um, that day because a lot of people uh, don't understand some of the things that I, I don't, anyway, how, how did, that didn't come out right. But you understand what I'm saying. A lot of people don't understand the real significance. Uh, but I think one of the things that we need to understand as members of the body of Christ, that when Jesus went to the cross, we know he hung on the cross, and there was more to it 
than, than all, you know, just him dying and raised, being raised from the dead. But when you really think in terms of true res resurrection, you also have to think about restoration. And what I mean by that is we have to understand that when Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead, fact, prior to that, uh, prior to the resurrection, when he was on the cross and he made the sound and he cried out, it is finished. And understanding that the sin debt had been paid. Because because of sin, mankind was in debt to the law of Moses. And under Moses' law, there was something like 613 precepts of the law. Can you imagine waking up every morning and having to keep 613 laws? Man, that's a lot of laws. That's a tough way to live. And, and really, religiously, people live like that. They live by laws, they live by rules, and they live by regulations. They have not learned how to live yet from the law of love, right? Because he loved us, that's why he died. And so when we understand that, so therefore the resurrection has more to do with restoration. And I mean by that simply is this truth, that when Jesus rose, uh, that resurrection, it empowered us to be restored or everything restored back to us that Adam, the first man, lost in the fall. Yeah, everything that was lost because of resurrection is now restored. Y'all there? And, be, and one of the greatest things, this is what we don't understand about the fall. One of the greatest things that Adam lost in the fall. I don't know what if, he, if he ate an apple or a pear. It could have been something else. I don't know. You know, it could have been a piece of chicken. I don't know what he ate. Uh, you know, but he ate from the tree. We know that story. But my point is that the greatest thing that Adam lost in the fall was the image of the father. He lost the image of God because that is the, the image that he came from. And he only identified with the spirit of God that he came from. And he lived in the spirit. He operated in the spirit. So when he fell, he lost that spirit connection. You have to understand. Because Adam was connected to God's kingdom government by virtue of the person of the Holy Ghost. Even in the beginning, we see the Holy Ghost working because the scripture says that the spirit of the Lord, it hovered over the waters, right? And so we see him working in the beginning. But when Adam fell, he lost that divine connection the whole, by the person of Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost connected him to the kingdom government of God. And when that, he had that connection, Adam was able, therefore, to govern the earth just like God governed the heavens. And so as we understand that, so what happened, so Jesus comes and he restores us back to the image, but he also reconnects us by virtue of the Holy Ghost. Because he said in John 14, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you another comforter. <laughs> A para the paracletus or the paraclete, the scripture calls them. And so I'm sending you another comforter. And one of the things to do to lead us in guidance, but one of the greatest things Holy Ghost came to do was to reconnect us to God's government so that we can accurately govern in the earth his kingdom mandate just like God the Father governs in the heavens. And so we bring that influence of his kingdom First starting with us, and then we take it to other places.
And so think of things being restored. Think of the image of God being restored. Think of prosperity being restored. Think of sickness and disease being eradicated because now our health is restored. So we go from resurrection to restoration. Everything that was lost in the fall now because of Yeshua HaMashiach has been restored to the body of Christ. So I want to read a couple of scriptures. Can I do that? And I'll see how far we can get. Y'all okay? Uh, I'm excited. I got to calm down. <laughs> Exodus, I'm sorry. We're going to start with Ezekiel 22:30. In fact, this scripture God spoke to me uh, when I first was called to preach. Uh, I've been preaching this fall would be the beginning of my 47th year of being in ministry. But I just learned how to preach for real about 10, 15 years ago. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and so things keep shifting. Um, and so, um, but this is one of the scriptures the Father spoke to me uh, when I was a young preacher. Ezekiel twenty-two thirty. For I sought for a man among them who would make a wall or make up a hedge and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Sought for men. Yeah. And when the Lord first gave that scripture to me, uh, he asked me would I be willing to be that one who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge for intercession and deliverance on behalf of his people. That was many years ago. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 15 and 16. My readings thus far is from the New King James Version. So truth fails. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, watch this, his own arm brought salvation for him, and his own, and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Right? So God brought salvation by the working of his own hand. Stay with me. Let's go to Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting at verse 20. I just have a few scriptures I want to read. It's okay, because once I get going, at least you can say he read a bunch of scriptures, right? <laughs> but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 uh, through 26, if you can just indulge me. Uh, I believe that uh, I'm a Bible preacher, and everything that we talk about should be founded or have a or at least a foundational principle in the word of God. If it doesn't, then we have to throw it out and reject it. Okay. First uh, Corinthians chapter 20, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 15, and I'm reading this text from the Passion Translation. It's one of my favorites. But the truth is, Christ is risen from the dead as the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest of those who have died. For since death came through a man, Adam, it is fitting that the resurrection of the dead has also come through a man, Christ. Even as all who are in Adam die, so also all who are in Christ will be made alive, but each one in his proper order, Christ the firstfruits, then those who belong to Christ in his presence, 
the final stage of completion comes when he will bring to an end every other rulership, authority, and power, and he will hand over his kingdom to Father God. Until then, he is destined to reign as king until all hostility has been subdued and placed under his feet. And the last enemy to be subdued and eliminated is death itself. And the last enemy to be subdued and eliminated is death itself. I've had some dear people leave me uh, in the past year, and I decided my oldest brother died in January. It just caught us off guard. And I decided um, that I hate death. And I began to understand that Jesus abolished death through the sacrifice of his body on the cross that we might now embrace immortality. See, I don't have to die to come into eternity. The moment I get born again by the spirit of God, in that moment, I touch eternity. So eternity ain't coming. I'm learning to live from eternity now. It's my present reality. See, we got to stop putting things off till tomorrow or till we get to heaven. We can touch these realms now because it... Let me get to back to my, I'm, I'm getting too excited. Y'all got to stop that. Calm down. But we have to understand, death is an enemy to be destroyed. Some people embrace death as a friend, and I get it, because people suffer uh, before they pass on, and people say, well, death finally came and helped them out. The Bible said it's an enemy. I don't want no enemy can I be honest? I don't know if this is too. I don't even know if I need to say this because we on, are we on the air? People listening to us. Oh, I don't even know if I should say this, but I'll say it. I was making my bed. Uh, this was several months ago. Months ago, I was making my bed. Uh, uh, maybe October, September, whenever it was. No, it was, it was about a year ago because I'm the one that generally makes up the bed at my house. Yeah, I make up the bed, man. And I'm usually the first one out of there. Anyway, that's another story. Because I wake up early, that's what I mean. I get up early in the morning. And so, and so I was making the bed, and I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, Holy Spirit said, uh, he said, begin to break all deaf contracts. And I said... It, because we live in a culture that celebrates death. You know, we go to home goings, we have funerals, we have memorials, and, and in a way, it gets in us, and in a way, we're celebrating death. I think we should honor those who have gone on. We should honor their memory, but sometimes we don't think in those terms. So he began to deal with me. He said, begin to break death contracts. Because, you know, I grew up in church. I grew, I grew up with classical Pentecostalism. Right, and uh, that's why I like those songs. Took me back, <laughs> take me back, dear Lord. Anyway, um, and so um, they taught us that you only had seventy years. 
right? And then the preacher would say, and by reason of strength, you might get 80. That's what they talk. That's a, you know, they always talk at least 70 or three score and 10, something like I forgot how it goes. Two score, three score, and 10, that's 70, right? Uh, they use that scripture. And the only reason that scripture's in there because in the wilderness, because of their rebellion. God's original intent is 120, according to Genesis. That's God's original intent. And so he told me, he said, begin to break deaf contracts. He said, because you got belief systems that you don't even know that are there. See, just because, uh, and he taught me a principle, so he began to teach me. I don't know why I'm talking about this. This might help somebody. He taught me a principle. I'm still working it out, brother, okay? I'm still working it out. But he taught me a principle, and he said, son, he said, because of time, he said, because you live in time, you can't help getting older. As a matter of fact, on April 7th is my birthday, and I'll send you my cash app, or you can send me a gift, and I'll take an offer, whatever, okay? <laughs> That's what they're doing now. But anyway, uh, April, in a few weeks, I'll be a little older. He said, because of time, you can't help getting older, because I'm living in time, right? But he said, here's the principle he taught me. This is the key to longevity. He said, but you don't have to age. So I'm the guy that stood in the mirror several months ago, and I looked at my handsome, pretty self in the mirror, and I said, don't you age another day. Now that's me. And I did that. And I said to my body, I said, because I need you. I got a lot of stuff to do. I need my legs. I need my hips. I need my hips because I might want to, you know, shake your hip, let the backbone slip. You know, I need everything. I need my heart working right. I need my guts working. I need everything. My muscles, my sinews, my bones, my joints. And then he began to teach me from Romans 8 and 11. That if the spirit who raised Christ from the dead dwell in you or live in you, it shall also quicken or make alive your physical body. And so the spirit that raised him from the dead is in me. So I begin, he began to teach me how to put a demand on the power of his life that's on the inside of me. Because if it's real, the power of his life begins to, the more I let it overtake me, the more it drives out the death principle. Because death is still trying to work in me. But the more the power of his life, I let it overtake me, right? <laughs> it drives out the death principle. And also, when you learn to live this way, it also will shift the atmosphere when you walk into a room. Because it's coming from the power of his life. Y'all okay? No. Y'all got me off my... Why y'all got me way over there? So let me, let me. And so we celebrate because the truth of the matter is Christ is risen from the dead. And we're not going to take it back. Not only that, we also believe there is no other name... Under heaven, 
and in the earth realm whereby men can be saved, the only way to true salvation is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the doorway into the kingdom. So we celebrate because he has risen. He is, Christ is also the first fruit of the resurrection. Because you have to understand, doing this feast of first fruit, it's a celebration. That's when Jesus was actually resurrected. He was actually resurrected in the evening. At sunset, not sunrise. Because if he is truly Messiah, then he has to coincide with the Hebraic calendar and the festivals of the Lord. So doing Passover, right? <laughs> Passover is the Hebrew word Pesach. It means to jump over, to leap over, to step over, or to come under the authority of a deity. Because when you step over the threshold in ancient culture of somebody's house, the, the threshold was like the altar. And whatever the God or the deity was over that house, when you stepped over that threshold, you came under the authority or whoever the God was of that house. Hallelujah. When I stepped over the threshold and when I came in this place, I knew that Jesus, the King of glory, was the Lord of this house. When I actually, when I get out the car on the parking lot, even the brothers, when they greeted me, I was like, my God, God lives here. And so, so you had Passover. The next day was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the last seven days. And then on the weekend, Friday to Saturday is normally Shabbat, from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. But this week of the crucifixion also was the Feast of the First Fruit. And the First Fruit offering, they went in about dusk dark after the Sabbath, around 6 p.m., somewhere in there. And they got the first budding of the barley harvest. And what they would do, they would celebrate, they sing, and then they would take, they would wrap it up, and then they would take it to the temple, and they would give it to the priest. Watch this. But they would, but the priest wouldn't present it to the Father till the next morning. So if Jesus is Messiah, I know we they tell us he rose early. Actually, he rose in the evening, doing the first fruits, somewhere around dusk dark. After Sabbath's over, he got out of the grave, but he didn't present himself to the priest till the following morning. That's where we get the sunrise thing from, right? He didn't do that because when Mary saw him, she thought in the garden the next day, when she saw him, she thought he was a gardener. And then she got a closer look. And she went to grab him and he said, don't touch me. I haven't ascended. Yeah. He was fulfilling, studying the first fruit offering. Let me, I just wanted to give you that. I didn't mean to give all that. So, 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 so Jesus was the first fruit offering and he was going to ascend to the father for the purpose of presenting himself as the first fruit from the dead. He's our great high priest who offered himself in fulfillment of the feast of the first fruits. Praise God. And therefore, he becomes our guarantee of resurrection. 
Remember, Jesus, since he's the first fruit offering, he is the first human person to be born again and represent a new species of being in the earth realm. That's what makes him first fruit. He's the first human to be born again by the spirit of the living God. The Bible said in Corinthians chapter 2, if the princes of this world, around verse 7, somewhere in there, if the princes of this world had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Why? Because when they crucified him, him being first fruit, now he made the way for you and me. And so now the enemies of heaven don't have one devil or one Christ to deal with. Now they got all of us Christ to deal with. Because you are Christ. If they would have knew that all these Christ would multiply in the earth, they would have never crucified him. My God. Are you there? Jesus, the first fruits, and therefore is those who are Christ, who belong to him at his coming. Now notice a few things. That without the resurrection of Jesus, those who die in him would have no hope of living in the presence of the Father. Number two, Jesus also is the first fruit of all who believe in him. Remember, first fruit is like a guarantee that all the rest of the seed, be it your life, your family, your money, your health, that everything would one day be wholly given over to the Lord. Now notice the first fruit principle. Jesus is a high priest who offered himself in fulfillment of the feast of first fruits or the first one to resurrect. He wasn't necessarily the first one to be raised from the dead because you can go all the way back to the old covenant where Elijah uh, revived a, a kid that died. Right. So he wasn't the first one to do that. Even Jesus himself in the gospel stopped the funeral. Can you imagine you're on your way to the cemetery and everybody's mourning and Jesus shows up and stops the procession and then goes back and open the thing and, and open the casket and say, hey, get up, let's go. And if you read the text, the text said, and Jesus brought the child to his mother, probably because everybody else got out of there. Can you imagine getting a service? Everybody's mourning. You're at the gravesite, and Jesus, somebody, show up, or somebody who's Christ in the earth like him shows up, and all of a sudden there's noise. <laughs> See, we got to understand the power of resurrection, because when Jesus rose, the Bible said those that were in their graves, they got up too. Now, let me calm down. I'm trying to... I'm trying to teach. The man of God said, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I'm going to try to do that. But Jesus became the fulfillment of the first fruit offering. And he fulfilled it. And he paved the way for us. So if you understand the festivals, they're not um, a feast of Israel, but they're God's feast.
That's why when you look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, the scripture says that God set the sun, the moon, and the stars to observe times and seasons. What is he talking about? He's not talking about winter, spring, summer, or fall. He's talking about Passover. He's talking about Pentecost. He's talking about tabernacles. Okay. John chapter 1, verse 29. Y'all okay? The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now let me show you something here. Luke 24, 46. Then he said to him, Thus it is written. This is why John said, Behold, this is the next day after this. Luke records it this way. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the same the third day. Because prior to this, Jesus asked John to baptize him. And John was like, hey, I don't, you need to be baptizing me. He said, no, it has to happen so that all be fulfilled. Right? And so this is the next day. He said it again, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A prophet asked me a question of several years ago, and he asked a question. It was kind of a rhetorical question. I didn't have the answer. And he said, he said, he was just talking. He said, how does a lamb rule a city? Because he called the Lamb of God. The sacrifice, right? So how does a lamb rule a city? This prophet asked me that. I was like, why are you going to ask me the question? I'm doing like this. That's what I had here. So I was actually scratching my hair, right? And I said, how are you asking me this? And he, gave, he said, let me tell you. He said, the way that a lamb rules a city is because everybody in the city has the nature of the lamb. See, 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 when we get born again, we take his nature. And we learn to live from his nature because we don't have one no more. It's his nature that's ruling and governing us. So notice these truths. I just want to, can I just get into some things here? Jesus now, because, you know, he's, he's risen from the dead on the third day. Now notice this truth. Jesus becomes God's first human son. Now, the Greek word for son is the word, you already know this, apostle teaches this to y'all, is weos. And it's usually associated with son, more specifically, think in terms of a mature son. And it's the only word used for Jesus in regards to sonship. Now, this word for son has three dimensions to its meanings. First, it is the idea of a full-grown adult maturity. Secondly, it means father-likeness. And thirdly, it is the receiving of a designated inheritance. Here's a, so this, I, just, I learned this. In the culture of the Bible, you didn't wait for your father to die to get your inheritance. But to get your inheritance, you serve your father in perfect obedience for 30 years. And if on your 30th birthday, your father declared that he was well pleased with your obedience, then you were legally entitled to ask for your inheritance. 
You're entitled to it. You could go to your father and say, Father, I have served you with obedience for 30 years. Can I please have my inheritance? Then the father is legally required to give it to you. Now, Jesus had to fulfill the conditions of sonship, serving his father with perfect obedience for 30 years. Only then could the father release to him all the resources and power of the kingdom. So when Jesus became 30 years old, he immediately went to the waters of the Jordan River and was baptized by John the Baptist, according to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Now note, he was, see, can I, can, see, when you get, when we get baptized, I don't want to talk about baptism, let, let me stay here. But you have to understand, Jesus was not, so when he got baptized by John in the Jordan, he was not baptized to wash his sins away because he didn't have any. Neither was he burying his old man because he didn't have one of those. He was not being baptized into a church because he is a church. His baptism was a baptism into, or say, I say, of Adam. It was complete identification because when you really get baptized, you identify. It's the law of identification. So when he got baptized of John, he was identified with the fallen human race of Adam because unless he identified, he would not be able to redeem him. Is the law of the scapegoat, the principle. Remember, when they brought the scapegoat, they had two goats. But what the priest would do, he would take the blood off the sacrifice and he would lay his hand on the goat that was going to be led out into the wilderness. And so when he laid his hand, some translations say that he leaned heavenly, heavily. Because what was the principle? He had to identify with the goat. Because if he couldn't identify with the goat, he could not transfer the sins of a people on the head of the goat. It's the principle of identification. See, until you can identify, there can be no release and transference. So, 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 so he leaned heavily, or he, he, he identified with them. It's kind of like, you ever hug someone, and it felt like you was hugging nobody? <laughs> or you ever shake somebody's hand, and you felt like you were shaking a fish because there was no light coming back? See, that's and, and when that happens, that means there's no identification. Shake my hand. Can I use you? Your hand's clean? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you look like a fun guy. We're going to be friends, okay? Yes, See, that's a real handshake, right? You can feel that, can't you? Not only can you feel the grip, but you can feel the life. See, same way when you embrace somebody. You should be able to feel the beating of their heart or the frequency that they're resonating from. It's called identification. And so Jesus was baptized to identify with the fallen Adamic race. With Adam's race. Otherwise, if I don't identify with them, I'm not going to be able to redeem them. Ooh, that's what redemption is all about. Identifying so he took our place. 
Oh, I don't have time to deal with this. I gotta. So he, it was about identification. And so we have to understand also that there was a difference between the Jesus who walked on the earth and the risen Jesus who now reigns with all power and authority from the heavens. And since the day that he was anointed at his baptism, Jesus had authority to forgive sins and to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy here on earth because he operated in mighty signs and wonders. Now watch this. How he do it. He moved in the power of Adam because Jesus lived the life of what the Bible calls the last Adam. First Corinthians 15, 46 says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So after his resurrection, he is called the second man, the Lord from heaven. According to 1 Corinthians 15, 47, the first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. He is not of this earth at all. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 3, Jesus was without father, without mother, without genealogy, without having either beginning of days nor end of the days, but made like the Son of God because he remains a priest continually after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus had no ethnicity or natural connection with the first Adam. As the last Adam, Jesus came and he reestablished the rule of God's kingdom on earth. Jesus came into conflict with the kingdom of Satan. And Jesus, as the redeemer, had to settle the debt of sin that was owed by Adam's race. This was, in fact, completed on the cross when he cried in triumph, it is finished. There is nothing to pay. So let's look at John's Gospel, chapter 19. Y'all okay? I'm almost there. Is this okay? I'm trying to not get so excited. Because when I get excited, I start perspiring and all that stuff. And, and I, yeah, I don't really, sometimes, well, if I spit, it's, it's, it's full of the anointing. So get under it. <laughs> yes, yeah, anointing spit. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to try not to spit, though. Okay, John chapter 19, verse 20 and 30 from New King James. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. In his spirit, because remember, Jesus was connected in relationship with the Father, and out of his union with Father, he knew when things were about to come to a conclusion. Oh, my God. See, out of his union, we can learn that. See, the more we come in union with the Father, you won't have to pray about uh, what you're supposed to do, where you're supposed to go. Because, the, because your union and your oneness with him, you just know out of that relationship. Okay? So he said, I thirst. Verse 29. Now, a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put on hyssop, and put it to his mouth, verse 30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, now, now watch this. 
This was not the same as the drug wine that was offered to him earlier, because they offered him some drug wine according to Mark chapter 15, verse 23. Mark 15, 23 says, Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink. Now, myrrh was intended to numb the pain. But Jesus refused it because he wanted to suffer the complete pain and agony. Plus, he wanted to stay conscious. Because in those days, myrrh was used as an anesthetic. So let's continue reading. So John 19.30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Teletestii. And having bowed in his head, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. Somebody ought to declare, it is finished. Not just in this moment, but for all time. It is finished so much so that when he got finished, the Bible said, this man, what did he do? He sat down. Because it's finished. If you get a revelation that everything is already done, that he's not going to do anything anymore for you, if you really get that revelation, you'll and start living from that place. When you really understand that everything is already done, you'll stop praying like, gimme, 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 my name is Jimmy, because you understand everything is done, and all you need to do is ask Holy Spirit to show you how to receive and benefit from the sacrifice. The greatest issue in the body. The Lord said this to me. He, says, he said, Marshall. See, when he said, Marshall, that's our friendship. When he says, your son is out of my sonship with him. But when he starts saying, Marshall, it's like he's, fully, he's, he's let me in on a divine secret. Because me and him, we're getting to be like this. Right? See, <laughs> he told me, he said, he said, and he told me this. He said, he said, people say they know me. He said, they really don't know me. He said, it's their idea of what it's like to know me. He said, in fact, it's a figment of their imagination. That's what he told me. Mm. But he said, he said, son, he said, he said, Marshall, he said, uh, he said, here's the problem. He said, this is the biggest problem, one of the biggest problems with my church. And I was like, I'm listening, because I don't know. You know, when he talks, I don't say nothing. <laughs> right? And he goes, he said, they don't understand. Everything's done. He says, so when they pray, it's like when they go to the cafeteria or to the restaurant and they make their order and you give it to the waiter or the waitress. Y'all ever done that? Even when you go to McDonald's, you got to wait. Fast food ain't fast no more. Anyway, let me leave that one alone. But anyway, um, it's not fast no more. I finished that. And so he said, that's how they pray. So it's like the waiter takes the order, and then goes back, and you wait on the cook to prepare your meal, so you patiently wait on it. Now, if it's too long, you're going to say, hey, where are our food at? But you still wait. He said, that's how my people pray. They pray to me like I have to go and fix it. He said, because they don't understand that everything is already done. He said, it's not that they're not confessing a word. It's not that they're not believing me. He said, the problem is they don't know how to receive. He told me to write a book about it. I'm going to call it the, the, I was going to call it the law of receiving. And he said, uh, he's, and then he said, no, he said, because here's the principle. He said, believing 
is illegitimate if there is no intent of receiving. Because the devil believed and he trembled. So believing ain't the issue. Do you know how to receive? And if you don't know how to receive what's already done, then you need to ask the helper, Holy Ghost, to help you because he's the spirit of truth. And if you ask him, he'll help you and teach you how to receive everything that's already freely been given to you. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But we need knowledge. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. You can, listen, you can only be really successful in your walk as a believer. You can only do it by revelation. You can't do it by information. Because if information did it, all the preaching in America, all the preaching this morning all over the earth, everybody's preaching. In South Africa, they, they had their service already. But every, all over the world, people are preaching the word of God. And it's not just, we need to preach and don't mishear me. But all the people that's hearing truth, if you don't know how to receive it and activate it and walk it out in your life, what good is it to you? It just makes you have knowledge. And knowledge puff up, the Bible said. I don't want to know a lot of stuff and can't live out of the reality of what I know. You know, they used to say back in the day, jack of all trades, but master of none. That's what some church people is. They know the word. They can know it better than preachers. They're preachers, but they can't do nothing about it. They can't live it out. They can't make it. They can't get fruit out of it. They can't get manifestation. See, I'm apostolic, so my apostolic mind is I'm starting to think more like God. The more I relate to him and connect to him and interface with him out of relationship, the more I understand Father is result-oriented. I was talking to a young entrepreneur uh, several months ago that um, he wants me to mentor him. Uh, he does, he's not a church young man, but the potential is there. And I began to share with him because he's a business guy. I said, you know, God's... Uh, 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 He's orientated to see increase happen. He's result-orientated, and he likes increase. He said, really? I never heard that. And it shifted him. He said, I think you're the guy that can help me. Because we don't think like that. God's interested in results. He's interested in fruit. He's interested in manifestation. So if you're not getting no fruit, you've been doing this a while, maybe we need to prune your tree. Yeah, we need to, somebody got some clippers. We need to prune your tree. And if it don't produce after a while, just, just get an action. Let's just cut it down and let's plant again. Right? Because God's result-oriented. See, see, this operates out of a kingdom mandate. This is apostolic. This ain't no Sunday school lesson. Jesus died for us to live out of these realities. What are you talking about? Get out of Sunday school. You should, be, you should be on milk. Some of y'all been around long enough. You should be able to handle some meat. Now, we got milks for the babies. Because God loved the babies. So we got milk for you. But if you ain't supposed to, you know, when the kids start getting a certain age and you still want milk. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, ain't talk, I know that's not... You know, that's in that other, because I was just in L.A., and I know L.A. got a whole lot of stuff going on. Anyway, let me know. But uh, let me get over here. So it's finished. So that's Holy Ghost to show you how to receive, right? So Jesus finished his assignment. He dismissed the spirit, and he died. Remember, 
until his death, he was called last Adam. After his resurrection, he became the second man. Why? He knew, he that knew no sin became sin. It's at this moment, he became so foul and filthy, filthy with sin that there was a separation between him and Father God. And in his agony, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One of the things we have to do, don't get upset with me, okay? We got to deal with this angry God theology. Like Jesus stepped in and protected us from God. You're going to hell. Now, there is a hell. But most of us, the gospel we were taught, if you don't get saved, God will get you. It's like God's so angry, but Jesus stepped in and saved us from the wrath of God. Nobody paints Harley the Father as a God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or as a God, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 18, as the God who reconciled the world to himself in Christ. So either he's a reconciler or he's love or he's this angry God that's out to get you. He can't be both. This is love, man. That's him. He can't be both. So our theology, we have to, God loves us. Can I help us? Can I help some of the prophets that might be listening? God is not interested in the destruction of America. Don't get upset. Because we get, people get caught in politics. And, and my answer is Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Y'all ought to be laughing and putting people in fear, right? God is not interested in destroying the America. I don't care how wicked they act. How many laws they legislate against him? God sees America through the eyes of redemptive purpose. And when this nation was founded, our forefathers founded it upon belief in God and the power of the resurrected Jesus. And because our forefathers established that truth, God will always bring redemption to America. That's Marshall McGee's version. <laughs> he who knew no sin. Now watch. It is finished, praise God. I'm almost done. Jesus not only paid for all the sins of Adam's race, but he also paid in full the price to redeem all of physical creation. He got everything back from the devil so that the devil no longer had any legal claim over the Ephraim. So we can thank Father for the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 17 and 4, Jesus said, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Now remember, he wasn't created like the first Adam. After he died, he went through three days and nights of spiritual travail. And then he walked out of the tomb as a full-grown, totally new man in a new resurrected body because he was the first fruit of them that slept. First man to be born again. I told you that already. So let's look at this as I wrap this up. Wow. Three days and three nights of travail in the spirit. Wow. 
Think about that. Let's go back to Corinthians 15. I'm almost done. Y'all okay? Verse 45. The last Adam was of the earth, but the new man is the Lord from heaven. Now remember, Jesus is the second man who was neither born of Adam nor of one man. He never was contaminated with the sin nature. And through the travail of the cross, after sin was completely dealt with, God in Christ went into labor to bring forth the second man. So when the soldier ripped open his side, it was like a surgeon performing a C-section on the womb of God. What happens when a woman gives birth? The first thing is that her water breaks. Then water and blood gush out. Man, didn't Nicodemus tell Jesus, Jesus tell Nicodemus, you must be born of water and spirit? So the Jesus, uh, <laughs> the blood gushed out, the, out of Jesus' body because God was in labor to give birth to something new. And on resurrection morning, the full-grown new man had nothing to do with the man who died on the cross. This new man came forth. He walked out of that tomb. Oh, my God. It was not just the raised body of a man who had been crucified. That body had completely disappeared. Jesus that walked out of the tomb was an entirely new man with a completely different genealogy. He was never contaminated with sin and was never a part of Adam's fallen race. He recovered the authority that the last Adam had lost. He recovered the authority of the government of God's kingdom on the earth. And on earth, we would see Jesus doing things like healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. The first words of the new man, that's who he's called, the man who's called the Lord from heaven, he said this in Matthew 28, 18. Now all authority has been given to me in heaven and in the earth. You have to understand that when he ascended on high, that he, when he came up out of the grave and ascended, he now not only subdued the earth, but he subdued the heavens. Because when he walked in the earth realm, he only operated in second level kingdom authority. He had not subdued the heavens yet. It was only after he rose from the dead that he declared, now all power and authority is in my hands in heaven and in the earth. Because when he ascended on high to sit at the right hand of God, he displaced ruling princes and powers. In fact, I think it was Colossians, Ephesians, it talks about 2.15, Colossians 2.15, that he spoiled powers and principalities. And he made a public display of them. What did he do? He displaced them. Oh, my God. If you'll be who you are in Christ, you'll displace some devils. Some of the devils bothering your life, if you'll take your real resident in him, they'll get displaced. You won't even have to say in Jesus' name. you just be who you are in Christ. And they'll just love They'll just get displaced because you showed up. Come on, see yourself in him right now. See yourself seated in him, far above principalities and powers, dominions and thrones and every devil. You're high above all of that in him. 
See yourself in him. And I promise you, when you get home, that devil that's been bothering you, that neighbor that's been acting crazy against you, it will be displaced. Why? Because of the Christ principle that's operating in your life. See, when you get in this, you better not have to always cast out a devil. Sometimes we do. But when you really start walking in the reality of Christ, devils will start running from you. Yeah. See, you got to learn to live this way now. We celebrating resurrection in about a week. What you talking about? He ain't dead. He's alive. How do I know he's alive? He's alive in me. Because there's something on the inside that's working on the outside. Oh, what a change in me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Go ahead. Give him praise. See, he had power in the heavens now or the heavenly realms just like he does on earth. Let me wrap this up. Romans 8, 29 says this. I got to close. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he, talking about Jesus, might be the firstborn of many brethren, that's us, being conformed to the image of the Son so that we could be just like him. <laughs> My God, right? He's the firstborn of us. See, we come behind him because he was born first. See, in the, see, the firstborn principle simply simple. It's just the one that first break opens the womb. <laughs> I got I to go, I got to go. See, it was not just Jesus who was to become this glorious Lord from heaven by his resurrection, but he was pioneering the way for all of us to come into the same new humanity. Can I read one? I got two more scriptures. Can I give them to you? I'm trying to stop. Romans 6 and 5, it literally reads like this in the Greek. If we have been united with him in death, in a death like his, certainly also we are right now his resurrection. Again, remember we talked about identification? Now, this is not just identification, but this is a law of substitution. Now, law of substitution works like this. So when we celebrate, you, you, can, you don't have to wait till next week. You, don't have to, you can celebrate every day, right? Because when he died, we were in him before the foundation of the world, according to Ephesians chapter 3, right? He chose us in him before the foundation, right? And because we're chosen in him, we were in him. So when he was in the, on the cross, not only was we on his mind, but he, we were in him on the cross. And when he died, we died to sin. And when he rose, we rose with him in power, dominion, and authority. Are y'all there? And we, and we ascend. So when he ascended, we co-ascended with him. The Bible said he raised us up together with him in Ephesians 2 verse 6 and made us to sit together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm trying to stop, man of God. You get mad to come get me. Seed it. Some of you are standing and you need to be sitting down. Seated in him. We are co-ascended. We are seated in heavenly realms, not next to him, but in him. 
It is the seated place. The seated position. I'm going to show you something. Can I show you this? The seated place in him is the place of authority. Because generally, when you sit down, it represents a place of seated rest. And when you understand your Christness in him and your kingship in him, you also understand that true kings never operate in authority from a place of agitation. They only do it from a place of seated rest. When they make the declaration, when they make the decree, they do it from a place of seated rest. So you have to understand, so we have been raised and seated in him in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 1 says, far above principalities and powers and mights and dominions and thrones and everything that's named and everything is under his feet. So in him, everything's under my feet. We're just waiting for the enemies to be subdued, right? So in him, so watch this. So think of that word seated. The Greek context is the word kathizal. And it has to do with several levels of spiritual jurisdiction. One is religious. One is political. And one is judicial. So we have a religious authority. And we have political authority, meaning we have influence. And we have judicial authority. See, all of us in him, we have a realm of spiritual jurisdiction. Now, that word jurisdiction is actually two words. Can I teach you for a minute? Mm. I'm trying to keep from running. That's why I'm sitting down. But I can't hardly stay still because it's in me and it's got to come out. My God. So watch this. Watch this. Woo, somebody come get me. Now watch this. Shake it. So when you think of jurisdiction, it's two words. It's the word Jewish, which has to mean, has to do with legal. And the word diction has to do with speech or to speak. So when you're seated place in him, you learn to legislate because now in him, you have the legal right to speak. See, the seat is to rule from, not to sit down on. See, it's a place of rulership. So when you see yourself seated, you're really in a place of rulership. And in him, as you learn to legislate and administrate, now you have, I'll say it again, the legal right to speak. And when you speak out of that seated place, it ain't your voice the enemy hears. It's the voice of Yeshua Hamashiach to Sikadu. Are you there? That's why the enemy don't like you, because of who you represent. But that's all right. Keep representing. Let me give you one last scripture, and I'm going to stop. Y'all okay? Did you catch that? All right, let me, let me stop. Let me stop. Galatians chapter 3. Somebody, yeah, my God, that's right. You got to say it like this. My God, that's how you say it. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, my intention was to empower the believer because part of my mandate apostolically, I deal with the kingdom and a whole bunch of stuff, is to empower the believer. Because all the revelation we have, if we can't fit it in the context of the local church and empower the believer with, believer's life with it, what good is it? 
You got to know you empowered. Who told you you didn't have any authority? Who told you you didn't have any power? Stop believing the lies of the devil. Get over yourself. Some of you don't even like yourselves. Fall in love with yourself. You're the instrument Father is using to bring his kingdom influence in the earth realm. The next time you look at yourself in the mirror, see God's creation. Because it's yourself, your body, that he's using in the earth to manifest the kingdom. You need to start loving you. If you don't know how to do it, ask Father to give you a revelation of his unconditional love. And when you get a revelation of his unconditional love and it comes on your life, you'll start loving yourself. And when you start loving yourself, it'll be easy to love people. One last scripture. Galatians chapter what is 13, chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Christ has redeemed us. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For as it is written, curses everyone who hangs on a tree. I don't have time to deal with that, but the most vilest person under the old covenant, the most vilest person, they were put on a tree and they were hanged. And, they had, and the principle was they had to take his body off the tree before it got dark. If they didn't, then a curse would come upon the land, on the land. So Jesus kind of fulfilled that by hanging on a tree on the cross, right? This is Paul's referencing that scripture over in Deuteronomy, right? So curses everyone. So Christ redeemed us from the law. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Verse 29. And if you are Christ... You Christ, I am. The Bible says, as he is in this world, so am me. So I am. So I am Christ, right? So if you are Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So hear me. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. One of the curses of the law of Moses, if you didn't obey it, either it was poverty, sickness, or graveyard dead. Oh, Lord. Poverty, sickness, and graveyard dead. You know, for the last, I don't even know how many years, the Spirit of God has been de delivering me and healing me from a poverty mindset. I grew up on government cheese. I grew up on welfare. We had food steps back in my day. Now y'all got little cars, so y'all more slick with it. But we had the food. I didn't mind you. People were putting, when we started our ministry, people were putting food stamps in the offering. I looked at them, I was like, we're going to the store. <laughs> I wasn't, man, that's, we can do something else with that other money. I'm just saying. But the Spirit of God, I was in a Copeland meeting. And this is when Leroy Thompson was preaching. This is, um, I don't keep up with him now, but he came out with the money covet. That was an anointing on him back in the day. And I felt something hit me on the back of my head. And I was with my pastor, Apostle um, Anthony Earl, and I was like, hey, man. I said, I looked at I was crying. I said, 
I said, I think the Spirit of God is delivering me from a spirit of poverty. And then the Holy Spirit showed me it's going to be like onions that I'm going to peel off of you. Because when you used to just get what they give you when you grow up poor, I still don't can't figure out how eight people use one bathroom. Cause my, no, ten, because my eight brothers, I had eight of us, and we possibly had a mom and dad. I still don't know how we use one bathroom. But my point is, I grew up with a poverty mindset. It was just taught to me. So I was getting the, the cheapest thing or the, getting by the best way I could. And the Lord began to deliver me. I've been in a process, even up to now. And then he shifted me when he told me, he said, you really don't believe I can take care of you. He said, you confess in the scriptures. He said, you pray. He said, but in your heart, you really don't believe it. And I almost, I said, Lord, I didn't know I didn't believe you could take care of me. I didn't know I was there. He just started talking to me out of my relationship. So I adjusted. And Lord, can't nobody take care of you like the Father. Let me get to where I'm going. But that was the curse of the law. So we've been redeemed. Also know, we are Christ, and if we're Christ, then we are Abraham's seed. So therefore, we inherit the promise of Abraham. So we share in Abraham's blessing. And remember, the blessing of Abraham was not just a spiritual blessing. God made Abraham rich and very rich. It's increase now upon increase because one of the things God said to Abraham, I got to stop in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. It's part of the blessing. It's part of the inheritance we receive from Abraham. There's an empowerment. So the next time you think of resurrection, think of all that stuff. Think of things being restored. Don't get caught up in the Easter egg. Don't get caught up in, please don't get caught up in the bunny rabbit. At least they could have got Buzz Bunny. I like him. Are you there? But get caught up in the reality because these are things he died for us to live for. He's a high priest, um, Ephesians 4, uh, Hebrews 4. He's a high priest. The Bible said, pass into the heavens. And because he was tempted at all points, did he didn't sin. He said, now we can boldly come to the throne and obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. Because Jesus, our high priest, has passed through the heavens. You can get your need met. Glory to God. Can we pray? I got to stop. I could, my longest I preached was five hours. In Des Moines, Iowa. And the only reason I stopped, no, we were in, in Coffeeville, Kansas. Because I had to be somewhere else. I had to get on the road. The next longest was three and a half hours. And the only reason I stopped, because I had another engagement. I ain't going to preach that long. I just tried to get it. I know I can't do it all in one day. So he told me he needed to get me back. Got me over my back. <laughs> Watch this. There is divine enablement that comes from the power of his life. The man of God earlier, as the worship was ended, began to call out healing. Did you receive? Did you receive? As he was calling out, 
What a better time to get healed. See, we live out of the reality that we've been redeemed. Amen. So, Father, thank you today. Thank you for this house. Thank you for what you're doing in the midst of all of us. And as we celebrate resurrection, as we celebrate his life, but more specifically, his life in us, because your principle is, according to Acts 17, 28, in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. My very life, our very life, comes from you. Teach us the more, Holy Spirit, to live from a place of knowing that we're loved, not just a place of forgiveness of sin. But teach us how to live from this place of being accepted in the beloved. Give us a revelation that you're not angry, but you are so pleased with us because you see us through the eyes of redemptive purpose. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that the reality of sacrifice will manifest in each and every life. Those that are under my hearing today, I give you praise, glory, and honor for it. Ooh, I just saw an angel. My God. Jesus. I just saw an angel. My God. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for the truth of your word. And I pray the commanded blessing that make it rich and add no sorrow with it. Rest upon this people. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.